we're not alone. Doesn't matter where you go, God is there and he is with you and he will go before you and he will never leave you. And uh, it, it's getting to understand who God is. And sometimes we don't comprehend all of that because nobody we know, humanistically, our human friends are not always there, but God is. And uh, so we need to understand that. And God loves us and he cares for us. And even when you're going through the hard trials, uh, God is there. If you need a, a Bible to follow along, raise your hands this morning. David's back there with the Bible. We're going to go to... Uh, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, uh, and uh, I would encourage you to have a Bible to follow along because we're going to move through it fairly rapidly this morning. We, we don't have quite as much time as we normally do to work with it. So uh, I want to just kind of pick up and, and begin going here. We're going to go Luke chapter 11, and we're going to start in the 14th verse. And as we come into this 14th verse, we find that Jesus was performing a miracle. In fact, let me read to you, uh, read this verse to you. It says he was casting out a demon and it was mute. In other words, the person who was possessed by this demon was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the man spoke and the crowds were amazed. And so here was an individual who was unable to speak because he was, he was demon possessed, basically, is what it's talking about. And Jesus came along and he cast out that demon. And uh, it was miraculous. Uh, doctors could do, not do that. They couldn't heal. Um, and and it, demon possession doesn't cause all the illnesses there are. I do believe in demon possession, but I don't believe uh, it's, it's responsible for a lot of things. I remember in the probably about the 80s, there were people that thought everything that happened was demons. And, and they were always they were trying to exercise and... Uh, like in The Exorcist, not when you go to the gym, they were uh, exercising demons and, and those kinds of things. But that's what Jesus did at this point. He, he exercised this demon and the per person began to speak who was unable to speak. But it was a miracle. And, you know, I thought about miracles. And we, we credit uh, a lot of things as miraculous at times. Um, the fact is probably... If you've seen one or two miracles during your lifetime, that's amazing. Uh, most of, of us haven't seen any. In fact, I, I tend to think that we probably don't see very many miracles today, if any. Uh, miracles in the Bible were very, uh, they weren't very common. You look at the, the time of about 1,500, 1,600 years, and there were really only a very few specific times when there were miraculous things. Miracles are Things, they, they happen, when we look at them in the Bible, they were immediate. They weren't things over a period of time. Uh, they were outside of the frame of the norm or the natural. In other words, they didn't fit into uh, scientifically how things should be. They were something that went beyond that. And so there was a real difference. Now, I will tell you, I believe God answers prayer. I believe that if you pray about a sick person, God can make them well. I think if you pray about your finances, God can help there. I believe God can help in a lot of things through prayer. But to necessarily say those are instantaneous, miraculous events, uh, I would probably tell you no. Even in the Bible, as I mentioned before, miracles, only a few places in the Bible do we find the miracles happening, and they were normally a sign. We call them signs or sign gifts a lot of times because they would point to something else. They would give a greater truth. 
For instance, Jesus performed miracles, and what it did was demonstrate that he was the Son of God. It demonstrated that he was the Messiah. It demonstrated his relationship there, and so he had that power to perform miracles. Uh, the early apostles performed miracles, and that pointed to the validity of the church. But as time went on, even in Acts, you begin to find those miracles becoming less and less evident. And, and they were assigned to point who that apostle was and the fact that they were God's person. If you go back into the Old Testament, you find that when Moses went into Egypt to deliver the children of Israel, he performed miracles by the power of God. And it was never by the power of man. It's always the power of God. And uh, when he went into Egypt, he performed miracles. It demonstrated to the Israelite people that he was God's spokesman and, and God was doing this. It also showed the power to Pharaoh of the God of Israel because uh, what the miracles did that, that Moses performed during those, those ten plagues were all against Egyptian gods. They had no power. They had no authority. Another time when there were miracles were with Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Israel had really turned away from God. They were following idolatry, Baal, Asherah, those were tend, tended to be the focal point of the nation of Israel at that time with Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, so the miracles of Elijah and Elisha pointed back to the authority and the power of God. So those are really the, the primary periods, time periods or events that we saw miracles even in the Bible. So here was Jesus and this miracle pointed to who he was. It was a sign in terms of his validity now, as I said, I believe that God does amazing things today. I believe he heals. So I don't want to take that away. I remember one time I was talking about this and somebody came by, oh, you're all wrong. I saw God heal. And, and he does. And he answers prayer. But usually it's, it, there's a time period there and we see uh, things working within that. It's a little different than what I see in terms of biblical miracles. But it says here he was casting out a demon and it was mute, and when the demon had gone out, the mute man was saying, uh, spoke, and the crowds were amazed. And then it goes on down in, in verse uh, 15 and 16, because there were those that saw Jesus do this, and nobody could refute it. I mean, it, it, it happened. They saw it with their own eyes. They, they saw this individual who couldn't speak began to speak, and, and so I would imagine it was Pharisees or scribes, and... <laughs> And they began to think to themselves, listen to 15 and 16, some of them said, well, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Beelzebub uh, came from uh, the word Baal, basically. It was Lord of the Flies or Lord of Dung. That's how the Israelites would, would interpret it. But it meant Satan is what they were talking about. And what they're saying is, well, he drives his demon out by the power of Satan of oh, the ruler of demons, the authority of the demons, and others to test him were demanding him a sign from heaven. You know, uh, what he did wasn't big enough. It wasn't great enough. So sometimes when you look at someone and they are accomplishing things, but you don't like them, they're on the other side of the aisle or whatever, uh, you begin to, instead of attacking what they're doing, you begin to attack the person. It's called slander. And that's really what was happening here. It's very easy to attack the person when you can't attack necessarily what they're doing or what they're accomplishing. All you have to do is watch presidential debates and you'll see it all the time. It's called slander. 
It's tearing down the person. In, in debate, they will tell you that it's not fair in a de- debate issue. You deal with the issue in a debate. You do not deal by attacking the other person. And yet, that's what they were doing here. They were attacking Jesus, saying, oh, well, he really didn't do this by his own power. And, and it isn't that the demon was passed out, cast out. They didn't even talk about that. They simply said, well, he did it by the power of Satan. He's really one of Satan's henchmen. He casts out demon by Beelzebub. And then others came along and they said, well, show us something better. You know, this wasn't good enough. We want a bigger miracle to prove who you are. Can't you do something really big like moving the stars around or shaking the earth or moving a mountain or... Whatever, and that's what they were saying here because they didn't want to accept who Jesus was and so they began to put it down. And it's interesting because Jesus responds in two ways. Listen to verse 17 and 18 as we get there. It says, but he knew their thoughts. Shows us something about the omniscience of Jesus, doesn't it? He understood exactly what they were thinking and what was going on in their minds. It shows his deity He knew their thoughts and he said, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And a house divided against itself falls. Verse 18, if Satan is divided, also is divided against himself. In other words, if if, if Satan has these demonic forces, these demonic beings, and they're out there working for him, and they're taking control of an individual's life, in the name of Satan or on the, on the, uh, for the benefit for Satan, if Satan is also divided against them, if he casts them out through Jesus, then how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. You, you, you're claiming that I do this. He says, if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will... Be your judges. Uh, Two things as we look at this. Basically, he says what you're saying is illogical. doesn't make sense. If a nation attacks itself, it destroys itself. If Satan attacks himself, he destroys himself. Why would Satan do that? It's, It's illogical. Uh, it, it wouldn't happen and just moving along quickly. It's, it's a sham because he says, you have people that are members of the Jewish nation and they supposedly also cast out demons. They'd been doing this for generations. Uh, there were those who were exorcists and they would cast out demons and, and they said they did it by the power of God and if you say that they cast them out by the power of God but then you turn around and say... I cast them out by Satan, then it's contradictory. It's false. It's it's a false claim. And so he's saying, number one, you're you're illogical in what you're saying, and then the other one is that your comment is flawed. The one thing that we get as we look at this, and that is that Satan has a kingdom, doesn't he? You know, way back when Satan was cast out of heaven, when he uh, turned on God, he basically 
uh, said, I want to be better than God. I want to be higher than God. I want to be as important or more important than God. I want to be above the highest stars. And he rebelled against God, and he established his own false kingdom. And it's a kingdom of, of rule that's here on earth. It's not the, and it says that we are not to love the world or the things in the world. And so it, it's not talking about the physical world necessarily, because God created that. God owns the world. We need to realize that. It's also not talking about humanity necessarily. Because you can quote John 3.16, can't you? God so loved the world. Yeah, talking about humanity. God loved them so much that he sent his son that he should die for them that they could have eternal life. But what he is talking about is, is this world system, this world system that is in opposition to who God is. And Satan tends to be a, a king of that. And, and I would say today, and I'm kind of skipping over my verses here, but... People who do not know Jesus Christ are in essence under the authority of Satan. They fit into that kingdom. Uh, the philosophies of the world today oftentimes fit under that kingdom. We begin to see how they fit together. I believe even nations, because if you go back into Daniel, Daniel chapter 10 uh, Daniel was waiting for one of the angels to come to him. Uh, Gabriel was going to come, and it says that he was waylaid by the prince of Persia, talking about angelic beings. And so uh, even the nations come under the authority of the rule of Satan. We look at that, and we, we picture that and realize that. But Jesus goes on in, the, in this passage he says in verse 20, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God. Probably the other place we see that, that phrase mentioned is when uh, Moses went up on the mountain and we see that God gave him the tablets by the finger of God. He wrote. It's talking about the power of God. And he says, I want you to know if I cast out demons by the power of God, that the kingdom of God is here today. You need to be aware that I am ushering in the kingdom of God. And so we see that uh, here is this conflict that's going on between that which is godly and that which is satanic. But let me just say something. Though Satan has a kingdom, he does not have the power of God. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He isn't everywhere all of the time. He cannot see everything. He does not know everything. He is a created being. And so he's less than God. Sometimes think, people think that Satan and God are equal. They aren't. Satan is much weaker than God. He doesn't have the power of God. But let me tell you something. He is strong. And we need to understand that. And he is wily, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But we need to understand who our adversary is. And he is a powerful being. And uh, he controls a great deal that we don't even realize. We don't even uh, understand it. Well, in verse 21 and 22, we, we looked at the introduction as it dealt with 
uh, the conflict between Jesus and, and the Pharisees and those who were religious leaders that day who simply didn't want to accept Jesus. They didn't want him as an authority or a power. And in verse 21 it says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his house, his possessions are undisturbed. So uh, we can picture that. If there's a guy there and he has his home and, and it is uh, fully armed, he has an alarm system, he has cameras up around, uh, he has his gun cabinet, he has a bat by his bed, uh, he's ready, whoever comes in, this is not a good place to go, he's fully armed, he's a strong man, he's protecting his house, and so for that house to be destroyed, somebody stronger has to come along, the strong man here is, is Satan, as we look at what Jesus is saying, he gives us this parable when a strong man fully armed guards his house, his possessions are undisturbed. Verse 22, but when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all of his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. And I just began to think about what are Satan's Weapons. What kind of armor does he have? How is it that he invades the life of an individual? How does he control? How does he make a difference? And, and just listed some of those things that might be his armor. Number one, I think, would be pride. Satan was very proud. He was very arrogant. If you, if you go back to uh, Isaiah 14, and I believe in this passage it's talking about Satan uh, it, it goes from being able to talk about a, a human. There's another passage in Ezekiel. But it goes from talking about a king. It starts talking about a king, but then it goes to someone who is greater than a human king. And it talks about his pride and his arrogance and wanting to be above the stars of the heavens and stars of God. And Satan's proud. And do you know what he does with humans? He creates in us a pride and an arrogance that doesn't listen to God. It doesn't listen to others. We're so caught up with what we believe and what we think and what the people that we support believe that, that we do not listen to what God has to say. In fact, very oftentimes we'll just justify where we are and what we believe, and, in, and it's an issue of pride and what the Bible says is that as Christians, we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to become humble. In James chapter 4, I want to go back there just very briefly because it gives us a picture of what we should be like. In James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Submit therefore to God. It's, it's not a pride issue. It's not me in charge, but it's God. Submit, therefore, to God. And then it says, oh, by the way, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We skip down to verse 10, and it says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Pride is a major issue in the world today. 
you've listened to all the different political things going on. It's all about me, mine, and what I think and what I want and my side instead of stopping to say, what does God want? And to really experience the blessings of God, we've got to go back and say, what does God want? And it's a matter of humbling ourselves as individuals first. And then as a nation, and it says, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. I think another weapon that that Satan uses is the issue of fear. And fear is... uh, a strong emotion, it paralyzes us. It it keeps us from moving out and accomplishing the things that God wants us to do. I I think fear of death is a major issue. Probably the greatest fear is dying. Because if you don't know Jesus, you don't know where you're going. And yet in in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Christ destroyed the power of death and we don't have to fear it any longer. And so fear is removed. It's taken away. How many of us fail to even share our faith and who we are and what we believe because we're afraid of what somebody else might think? Oh, we'll turn them off. The, the, you know, we're going to scare them away. And what we're really doing is we're afraid of what they might say or what they might think of us. We're afraid of the consequences, and so we keep it to ourselves. And, and Jesus came to abolish death. He says uh, he came to abolish fear. In, in the Bible, it says, I didn't give you the spirit of timidity, of fear. But he said, I gave you the, the spirit of love and power and self-discipline. And so Satan uses fear. Oftentimes, I think it's one of those things that Satan uses. Another thing that I wrote down that I believe Satan uses in terms of intimidating and keeping us from being where God wants us to is hatred. And Satan hates God and he hates people that love God. (laughs) It's interesting that uh, Roy said this morning, as they're studying through the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, it points forward to Jesus Christ. Everything we see points to Jesus. Jesus came that we might love one another. God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Jesus died for us. It says, because he first loved us, we are to love him, and we are to love one another. Love becomes a dominant factor within the world, and and, and so we are not to hate but to love. I, I think sometimes people look at Christians and think they're haters, and God never called us to be haters. He never hate called us to hate other people. Uh, we may not agree with their lifestyle. We may not agree with the sinful nature of their lives, but it doesn't mean that we hate them. Uh, I, I love Colossians chapter 3. I want to just read for a few minutes from this passage because it shows the difference as we're talking about good and evil we're talking about the difference between satan and god uh, the strong man and the stronger man colossians chapter 3 verse 5 it says therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these immoral things immorality impurity passion evil desire and greed which amounts to idolatry 
serving other gods. It's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them, back there before you knew Jesus. But now you also put them all aside, put aside anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on... And here it is, we take off all of these things it's just been talking about in this passage, and we put on a whole new set of spiritual clothes. You put on a new self who is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. There is no racial difference, circumcised and uncircumcised. There's not the spiritual things there, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but it's Christ. Christ is all. He's in all. That's the focal point. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, here it is, put on, you want to put this on, a heart of compassion. No matter who you're dealing with, of kindness, of humility, of gentleness, of patience, We're to bear with one another. We're to forgive one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Then in verse 14, it says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's if all of these other character qualities that it's talking about there are individuals, and then that love becomes the mortar that holds them together. Christ didn't call us to hate. He called us to love. He called us to forgive as we've been forgiven. He called us to a changed, transformed lifestyle. It goes on following that verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. That's how the peace of God becomes a reality in our lives. Otherwise, become anxious and uptight, frustrated. And yet God says, I want love to be the binding influence. In 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, it starts out and it says, if you have all the great qualities giving to the poor, meeting this need and that need, but you lack love, it's nothing but a loud-sounding gong. It's brass. It's just a lot of noise. Love is to be the character quality that dominates, not hatred. In verse 22, there's many other things I believe that Satan uses, but in verse 22, moving along in our passage this morning, uh, we're well past the time, but it says, but when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all of his armor on which he had relied and distributes it as plunder. 
You know, I think about when Jesus Christ destroyed the power of Satan. He did it at the cross. And then as he moves into our hearts and we by faith receive him, we become part of his kingdom and no longer part of Satan's kingdom. We become that plunder that becomes part of a fellowship with Jesus Christ. And then in verse 23 it says, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. And this is an important issue for every one of us. Jesus says there is no middle ground. He said, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you aren't drawing others in, then you are pushing them out. You're going to be in one kingdom or the other. You're either going to be in the kingdom of God because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you're going to be in the kingdom of Satan. You know, a lot of people say, well, I just don't know. I just haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet. I, I'm okay. I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm certainly not over here in Satan's kingdom. Well, the Bible says that's where we are if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We may not think we are, but you see, that's one of those lies that Satan has given us. That's one of his, his weapons. That's one of his tools. The Bible says that he is a liar and that he is the father of liars and he plants lies in our hearts and our minds continuously. And we listen to them, and we're drawn away from where God wants us to be. It's a matter of going back and realizing that, man, I, I have a choice to make. I either choose to follow Jesus or choose not to. But if I don't follow him, it's not a matter of no man's land. I find that I'm on the other side whether I want to be or not. Let me just read these last verses, verse 24 through 26. It says, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it leaves him. It doesn't say he's necessarily driven out. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. It passes through a waterless places seeking rest. It passes through the desert uh, spiritually not finding any, it says, well, I'll return to my house, the one from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order because nothing's come in to replace it. Nothing has filled that house, that human being, that individual. And then it goes in and takes along seven other spirits, e even more evil than itself. And they go in and they live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. You see, some people have issues that they want to take removed from their life. It may be language issues. It may be substance abuse. It may be uh, anger, bitterness, uh, any number of things. And they say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And... And they've decided they're going to reform and things are going to be different. Unfaithful. I'll never be unfaithful again. I'm going to be reformed. But it's not enough to simply be reformed. You also have to be regenerated. Changed. Transformed. Start over. Or do you know what? That issue that you were dealing with that you have overcome may go away, but 
if you have not replaced it with anything, that issue will probably come back or some other just as bad or worse and take its place. And it's harder to get rid of the second time. There was a passage I read. I read a uh, commentator that used Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine where is in dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said the interesting thing here is that a person may have an alcoholic abuse issue. He doesn't deal with it well. He needs to get rid of it. He says, I'm not going to do that anymore, but if he doesn't replace it with something, then something else comes along and wants to fill that void. You have a void in your life when you remove something. And so what Paul was saying here is, don't be drunk with wine, where is in dissipation? And that's not totally how the context goes with this passage But the picture is, if you have that, you remove it, it needs to now be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence within you, there's not room for any of the satanic control any longer. Because it's God that makes a difference. And that's the picture that we see here, is that if if the life is not filled with something else, then... Satan moves back in. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. Romans chapter 2 makes that statement. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing your mind, changing your heart, changing who you are, so that we no longer allow those influences to come in that would control us that are not of God. And so it begins with understanding that we are in a spiritual war. We're part of it. We are the prize. We're what they seek to control. Satan wants to control you. He wants to control me. But God loves us, and he wants to take that place. The only way the change comes is when we turn our hearts to the Lord, realizing that this battle is going on and saying, Lord, I want you to have control. I humble myself before you. It says, seek first God, seek him and his righteousness, and then rebuke Satan. And it says he flees from you, but only by the power of God. And so it's a matter of saying, who controls my life? And each of us today have to ask that question. Who controls my life? Am I buying into the issue of pride? Am I hearing the lies and am I accepting them or rejecting them? Is fear dominating who I am? Am I letting Satan have his way? Or am I trusting God? And each of us have to ask those questions for ourselves this morning. If, if we find ourselves on the side where we don't want to be, it's just a matter of coming back, turning to God, drawing near to him, and rebuking Satan and seeing him go away. Let's pray, shall we? Father, boy, just touched on a very important 
passage on uh, this miracle and, and the parable and the strong man and the stronger man, Father. It's not the strong man and the weak man because Jesus is so much stronger than Satan. The Holy Spirit is so much stronger than other forces that would come into our lives. But Father, I, I pray that you would help us not to get caught up with, oh, we've got to look for demonic forces all the time, but help us to be aware of the fact that there are forces out there that are truly in opposition to you. And it's very easy to be drawn into them. Help us to be free from that, Father. Help us to stand firm before you. Thank you, Father, for just the reminder in this passage that Jesus is stronger than any other force in the world. We don't need to fear anything going on because you're in control. It's your peace that needs to dominate our lives. And it's your love that needs to be displayed continuously no matter who we're dealing with. Help us to be like Jesus. Thank you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.